0: Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary.
1: Short-term mission trips, love them or hate them? The fact of the matter is that uh, some of our short-term mission trips can create more problems than they're worth. Stay tuned in The Scent Life as we talk about how to avoid these pitfalls and problems. Welcome back into our Scent Life studios, Dr. Anna Dobb. Hello, it's great to be back. Man, it's great to have Anna here to talk to us again about stories of the scent. You know, sometimes when we think about those that are serving overseas, um, we think, man, God's doing great things out there. Uh, but does that have anything to do with me? Can I do anything about it? And so Anne's going to talk to us a story today about kind of a connection point of a story of a sent one and I guess one who's holding the rope.
2: Yes. So today I want to share kind of a very different story than we've done on okay. Stories of the Sent Ones. Um, we often tell stories of what God has done through our missionaries or is doing through our missionaries. But today I want to highlight a complete stranger, okay. uh, a woman from a church back in America who encouraged one of our sent mm-hmm. ones. Um, I have a friend named Amy who serves in Eastern Germany. Amy's had a rough couple of years. Uh, While on the field, she was diagnosed with a chronic disease Hmm. and had to adjust to what life and ministry would look like with some physical limitations. One day, Amy received a handwritten note in the mail. It was from someone that she'd never met. The woman said that she'd seen her name in the WMU missions mosaic birthday calendar and had committed to pray for her, her family, and her ministry. This woman did not know Amy's story. But opened up about her own health issues and told Amy that even in the midst of her own personal adversity, she was committing to pray for Amy and her family. Through the seemingly small act of just picking up a pen and reaching out to a missionary she'd never met, Hmm. she encouraged my friend in ways that she will never know. She reminded Amy that God uses our weaknesses to encourage each other. She was stepping out in faith, and what she had in doing so encouraged Amy so that that, that she could do the same. Hmm. This unknown woman who felt like she had very little else to offer spurred on a sister to do the work of God's mission through the sacrifice of transparency mixed with five minutes, a pen, a note card and an international stamp.
1: Wow. What a great reminder that uh, the story of the sent ones is that we all live sent. We do. And we live sent because we go. We live sent because we stay and hold the rope. We write cards, emails and we never know. You know, what our small step of obedience on one end does to sustain those on the other. Amen. What a great, what a great story. Now, you mentioned in this, I want to make a real quick plug: uh, the WMU uh, prayer list. Yes, this is something anyone can find in anyone. Uh, can download. Can you give just a little bit of information about where somebody might be able to find that if they're interested in praying for and encouraging sent ones around the world?
2: Sure. So uh, the Missions Mosaic, um, first, the easiest way to get it is to actually sign up for the Missions Mosaic magazine. Okay. Uh, this is a, a a magazine that comes through the WMU. Um, it's a resource by women for women. Okay. Um, I actually write for the okay. Missions Mosaic yep. every once in a while. Um, but I believe that you can also find it uh, on the WMU website. Now, I will put this little caveat there. There's a lot of people who, whose names can't be listed sure. uh, for security reasons. Mm-hmm. And so you'll get a lot of initials, which can seem overwhelming when you're trying to pray through a list of...
1: But God knows who they are.
2: God knows exactly who they are. Um, and so don't let that deter you. And one of, the, one of the reasons that this woman reached out to Amy is that Amy's in an area where her name could be written. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this woman... Was able to to see Amy's name, hear about a little bit about Amy's story, and uh, and now they're actually corresponding back and forth. I know, from what I've heard.
1: What a great story! And so it's again, it's a reminder as we live uh, as we live sent, uh, we can be sent even uh, sometimes when we stay, and as we support and encourage those uh, who are sent. Anna, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Scent Life. I'm Scott Hildreth. I'm here with Keelan Cook in the Scent Life Studios, and today, Keelan, we want to talk about, um, well, kind of a problem that we might face in uh, living out the God's missionary call in our church, right? Yeah.
0: So here's the scenario, right? We uh, we know that short-term missions is a big deal nowadays, and most churches they think, well, the way that we engage is through short-term trips. How are we going to do that trip to wherever in the world? And you know, if we're not careful, there's a there's another side of that coin that we need to be mindful of. How how often are we helping in a way that maybe hurts? Right. right.
1: Yeah. So the, yeah, there's that the, there's that reality that uh, that just because we travel, just because we go somewhere with our Bible or our team or our T-shirt, and we have good intentions, it doesn't mean we always accomplish things good. So I think that as we are hopefully seeing the closing of the window of COVID and the restrictions to travel around the world, and we think about churches re-engaging in short-term missions, maybe doing some things different, we want to take a few minutes today and talk about how to avoid some of the pitfalls that we find when we think about doing short-term missions. It, it doesn't matter what we used to do in the past. Right? We made, we've done mission trips in the past. and we made some mistakes. But going forward, we want to make sure that the ones that we engage in um, are, are healthy that they help those who are on the field. I think maybe we can anticipate in the future, maybe fewer short-term mission trips in the near future with the restrictions that we see around the world. And so we'll make sure that we do them as as well as we can, and that they're actually accomplishing and helping the missionaries that we're working with. So that's our topic today. And I know that you've got some significant thoughts on this. Uh, So when you think about short-term mission teams, what are some of the some issues and problems that may be commonly associated with short-term mission teams.
0: Yeah, there's uh, two or three tropes that start to come sure. to the surface when we talk about this issue, uh, and there's a good chance that a lot of our listeners will have experienced this. You may be a missionary on the field, and you're going, oh, preach when we come to some of these. <laughs> or you, you may be a, a church member or a church pastor who has had the, the joy of scheduling some of these short-term trips, right. and, and had to deal with some of these hurdles as well. So I, I hope this is a thing that kind of sounds out to a lot of you. Uh, but the tropes, uh, one in particular is this idea of missions tourism. Let me go ahead and throw sure. that topic on the table. Uh, if we are not careful in the way that we think about short-term trips, it, uh, in a lot of churches it starts to look like the missions office is really just a travel agency. That's right. Uh, and what we wind up doing is we have all of these nice exotic places with all of these nice exotic trips that we've planned. And yeah, we're going to do some good work while we're there, but the cart gets in front of the horse sometimes, and the pull of adventure or experience may be more significant than the the Great Commission strategy that should be really the foundation for that trip in the first place. Yeah, When I
1: think about Christian tourism and short-term missions, I, the way I, I think about it is that the, the people that we're going to work with actually become the product that we're selling it's this idea of hey come over here and you can do this thing with these people they've never heard the gospel and it's as if we're selling that product rather than connecting our people to the mission of God. So what we're selling is the experience, we're selling the people, we're selling this, rather than saying, no, God called you as a missionary and God called you to be involved in this, so let's follow God where He's leading you. So this really this is really where, where American tourism and consumerism clashes with short term missions.
0: No doubt. Uh in addition to that, I, I think there's another it's related to that. So uh, one of the things that we see is this: Hey, let's let's look at all these different cool places we can go. The other thing, though, is hey, let's look at all these different specific cool things hmm. we would like to do. Okay, and so the church, sitting wherever it is here stateside, comes up with an idea. We'd love to go fill in the blank. It's hmm. it's maybe working with orphan care, maybe it's building homes or painting something, or or maybe it's going and engaging in a particular kind of evangelistic effort. Whatever hmm. it is, the church stateside comes up with this great strategy that they really would like to see happen, and then they start calling missionaries on the field and saying, we've got a package deal we want to bring to you.
1: Yeah, and then they're offended when the missionary on the field is like, yeah, I actually can't use that right now. Absolutely. I can remember being on the mission field when we were in uh, the Muslim world, and there was a church stateside who wanted to come do this kind of mega youth choir tour in our city. And I'm not against youth choir tours, but they wanted to bring you know seventy-five or a hundred teenagers to our city and do uh, do music. want to do outside festivals. I said, you know, you realize that we live in a city that is ninety-nine point whatever percent Muslim, and it's not really safe to do that. Yeah, but they said, yeah, but you don't understand. People love our music. We're really good at what we do. <laughs> so they bring this package to where we're going, and that just puts the pressure on the missionary to accommodate. Uh, the, the strategy or the dream of the American church.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and one other one that yep. I think would be helpful to point out here. So we've got the the all the different places you could go. We've got the specific thing I want to come do. The other one, I think, is actually the reverse of the first. It's not, hey, I want to wow my congregation with these cool exotic places. Instead, it's, I think I'd really like to use some time overseas to whip my congregation into shape. And so <laughs> there's this idea of I'm going to seek out the hardest possible venue for my people to have to go so that they have to essentially suffer through it. And maybe it's character building or something. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, if you love Jesus, you're going to go to this dangerous place or or safe place and sleep on the floor. And if you complain, then you're not really a Christian. You know, there's a study done several years ago that without proper pre-trip preparation and post-trip debrief, that a mission trip could actually be detrimental to a person's spiritual formation. We often think that, hey, if you go on a short-term mission trip, it always is a good thing. But the fact is that we can do it in a way that's actually harmful. We can give people the idea that they've checked this off their bucket list. Hey, I'm, I've am i climbed this mountain. Or it could be, you know, you're not spiritual enough. You're not mature enough to endure this thing. You don't love God. So in that way, we can really, um, really have an issue. Another thing that um, that we've seen when it comes to short-term missions, and I think this is going to be probably the bulk of what we talk about today, is this idea of dependency and short-term mm-hmm. missions, just creating an unhealthy relationship between the national Christians or the national, even non-believers, and the Western church, creating dependency. Can we think about this notion of dependency, We've, we hear that in missionary language all the time. What do we mean when we use the word dependency, and how does that relate to our missionary activity and especially short-term missions, and why is it such a bad thing?
0: Yeah, so at this point, I imagine a number of the people that would be listening to this uh, have heard of a book called When Helping Hurts. Uh, Two guys wrote it by the name of uh, Steve Corbett and Brian Mm Fickert. And Corbett and Fickert's book is – it really kind of made a big splash Mm -hmm. uh, with a bunch of NGOs, with a bunch of missions agencies because it puts out this thesis, right, that it's possible to help – In a way that's actually hurting instead of helping. That's right. And uh, the primary way where that happens, I think, is this concept of dependency. Uh, If we go in in a situation where we leave the people in a situation, in in a position where they are less likely Mm. to be able to long term have a sustainable benefit from what we've been doing there, then we've
1: really done more to hurt than help. Yeah. Yeah. Dependency is when we do for people what they can do for themselves and leave the expectation that well you just can't do it well right um it's it'd be like trying to teach our kids to walk and always carrying them around if they stumble and if they fall at some point they'll think well it's a lot easier for you to carry me than it is for me to stumble and fall and struggle and sometimes we can actually do missionary work in a way that doesn't empower people to, to live, it doesn't empower people to grow on their own, but rather they're always looking to somebody else to do these things that they themselves can do and should do on their own. It really harms the maturity of the local church, creates expectations that the church can't fulfill on its own. They're always looking to somebody else to do their vacation Bible school. Somebody's gonna come do your revival service. Somebody's gonna come build your building or maintain your building. It happens in the United States. It happens around the world. Uh, so it's not just a, it's not just in a kind of a, a, a Western Christian to the world. It also happens. I've seen some more larger Southern Bible Belt churches to New England churches or Midwest churches or West Coast churches that are small. Hey, this church up here will never have a vacation Bible school. They never do a, a spring revival. They don't maintain the building until somebody brings a, a mission team to do that. And so this is what we mean by dependency.
0: Certainly, and I think there's uh, two points to that that we really need to flesh out here when we talk about this issue. One, uh, there are different ways that you can make a group of people dependent upon another group of people. Uh, Very often we think it's finances, and that's one of the biggest ways. That's right. Uh, but in addition, there is a skill set or perceived expertise. Good. You can think we're not able to do that because we don't know how to do it. Uh, we're not skilled enough to preach. We're not skilled enough to teach. We're not skilled enough to whatever it is. We need you to come here and do that for us. Uh, another one is is manpower and resources. We don't have the people here to mm. do that. We need you to come with your team because we don't, we don't have the manpower to pull it off. And, uh, and so there's more than one way we can be dependent. It's not just money, even though that's one of the biggest mm-hmm. ones. The other thing we need to consider, especially when it comes to international missions and this concept of dependency, we see that we can even do it in our own context and our own culture. But when you cross cultural barriers, mm-hmm. it, it's almost a multiplier hmm. for how easy it is to miss some of the cues on whether or not you're doing that. And so, again, across a cultural mm-hmm. boundary – it's even easier, I think, to miss on this point.
1: Yeah, so we make it a big deal about dependency and missions. So can you talk a little bit? You've worked with internationals around the world. You've worked with international churches in the United States. And uh, when we think about this idea of dependency, why is it a big deal and why should we care about it? After all, somebody said, yeah, I'm just, I'm just doing the best I can or I'm just trying to help. Why is it a big deal that we ought to be paying attention to this notion of dependency as it relates to the short term mission activities?
0: Yeah, so two quick things I can say to that one uh, one because we want to actually love people okay we don't want it to just look like we love them uh, in fact, when we are going overseas or or going uh, across the country to engage in good great commission ministry in and, and whatever vein we're looking at doing this work here uh, we, in earnest, want to care about the people mm. that we are going to engage with and see them as such. Yep. They're not a project. They're they're people. Mm-hmm. And, and if we want to help in a way that helps and not in a way that hurts, that provides honor, value, and dignity to people in a way that something that would create dependency doesn't. It's actually the reverse mm. of truly loving those people. Uh, the other reason is, sounds more pragmatic, I guess, but that's how you actually scale out and multiply uh, the making of disciples. Yeah. And so if we're not careful and we create a dependent situation as we're engaging in uh, cross-cultural missions overseas or something to that effect, if, they, if their work as a church or their work in missions and ministry overseas mm. is dependent upon us coming to do it, they're not going to be able to multiply out that task themselves. Yeah. And so the work really stops at us. We become the bottleneck in
1: that setting. Yeah, that's a great point. So let's, we've, we've talked to some bad news but we promised at the start we were going to talk about some good news. That's right. right. The point of this is not just to say all the problems, but how to avoid some of the pitfalls for short-term missions. And so why don't we, in the last five or six minutes that we've got here, why don't we just give some rapid-fire recommendations for avoiding the pitfalls that normally happen uh, as it relates to short-term missions. So We'll go one at a time back and forth, just some rapid fire. People can jot these down or come back later and listen to them. But what would you say is one way to avoid some of the pitfalls for short-term missions?
0: Sure. First, far and away, develop specific partnerships with teams that are on the ground and keep those partnerships in a long-term way.
1: That's good. We I actually had a podcast a week or so ago that talked about this partnership. Now, why, why, does, this, why does a partnership with a field person help avoid the pitfalls of short-term missions. Yeah,
0: there's two or three reasons why that's so significant. Uh, one, you get to know that area better, and mm. so it's easier for you as you're making decisions about what you're going to do to avoid pitfalls because you've worked there before. Mm. So that's one reason. The other reason is if you've got missionaries that you have a regular connection with, they can speak into what you're talking about doing. That's another reason. Uh, so there's two or three things here that I think are just clear, clear benefits to having that kind of partnership that allow you to do that.
1: Good, yeah. So what I would add to that, too, is I would say that we should always be choosy and selective about the short-term activities, mission activities that we engage in. Uh, Your church, if you start being involved in missions, you're going to have plenty of people coming to you asking you to do a whole lot of things. And I normally tell our students, you can't fix everyone's bad idea, but you don't have to join them in that bad idea. There are all kind of people who say, hey, let's do this, and it sounds good, it sounds noble, but we ought to be real choosy in the way that we in the way that we decide what type of mission events we're going to take place because that does two things. First, from our church or from my uh, youth group or my organization, from one end, it says, I'm not going to advance the issue, but I think it actually disciples the people we're leading to make good decisions about missions. If we're leading them in bad decisions, we should anticipate that bad missiology to multiply itself. But if we're choosy, it may look like we're going slower. It looks like we're meaner. We say no to people sometimes. But in the end, we actually disciple people to make better decisions. And at some point, maybe we can eradicate some of these bad type of mission trips.
0: That's really well said, Scott. The, uh, the idea of having some discernment in what we're doing. Uh, I mean, if you're in leadership in a church, you have ideas Mm -hmm. get pitched across your desk all the time by this organization or that organization. They've got a wonderful plan for your life and for your church. Right. And uh, we need to be choosy about the things that we will choose to get involved in. Uh, Another thing that I think I'd say uh, to a church that's wanting to avoid some of these pitfalls, think of yourself in the role of a support to mission. Mm. Don't think of yourself as the the key idea maker here. Uh, If you've got a partnership or if you're working with folk that are on the field, whether that be local, indigenous Mm. leadership, or it's a missionary team that we've got that's on the field, let them be the lead dance partner here. They're the ones that really know uh, more about the situation and the cross-cultural boundaries uh, that we've got to consider in in making these decisions. That's good.
1: Good, good. So I would add to that, minister in the short term with a long-term vision in mind. One of the biggest mistakes we make is we think that our church or our mission trip is kind of the beginning, middle, and end of all the missionary stuff that'll take place in that location or among that people group rather than realizing, no... We're part of this long-term strategy that takes place with that group of people, which brings us back to your idea of having a partner on the field. Than the people that we're partnering with, whether it's a local church, a national, uh, national partners, missionaries, they have a long-term vision. We minister with a short-term, with a long-term strategy. Therefore, we don't need to do it all. We do our little piece right now, come back the next time and do a little bit more so we can realize that that ours is part of God's global long-term plan for discipleship and reaching this people group.
0: One final thing I think I'd add here. Um, In general, less is more. Good. Less is more. Uh, We have a tendency to go big or go home Mm -hmm. here in the States when it comes to events. And so we want to plan a big splash and oftentimes, ministry of presence is yeah. really what we're after, uh, being alongside of a missionary in the work that they're already doing and going in and doing something that doesn't leave their entire strategy resting on the next big splash. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that tends to be a, a, the attitude that we need to take when it comes to planning these things.
1: Great, great points. And I think we would, we would encourage all churches, all Christians, to take advantage of short-term mission opportunities. We live in a unique time uh, in history where travel is quick. It's relatively inexpensive. You can get somewhere in the world uh, where people have never heard about Jesus and you can tell them about Jesus. We don't do it with wisdom. We want to do it with uh, with sound theology, sound missiology. So as you participate in missions, let's make sure that we're doing short-term missions, even long-term missions for that matter. But We're engaged in short-term missions in a way that's healthy, that avoids these normal or or these pitfall tendencies that happen. So we want to encourage you, embrace all that God has for you as you follow Him uh, in His missionary journey for your life.
3: Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary exists to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. Located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, we offer over 40 degrees ranging from a Bachelor of Arts to a Doctor of Philosophy. The Master of Divinity is Southeastern's flagship degree for anyone seeking to be thoroughly equipped to serve their local church through a variety of ways. Since 1950, Southeastern has grown its student body to more than 5,000 students who seek to minister in the US and around the world. We believe that theological education is more than just building knowledge. It's about becoming who God has called you to be. No matter how God is calling you to serve, Southeastern will come alongside you and help you to grow in your faith and go to reach the lost. If you're interested in learning more, check out sebts.edu to find out how God might be calling you to go next. Use the code THESENTLIFE, all caps, no spaces, and Southeastern will waive your application fee.
1: Hey guys, so welcome back to our segment of The Scent Life uh, Out of the Tower, where we attempt to take uh, what we teach in our classrooms from just from the classroom and bring it out into the practical, uh, everyday life of what it takes to live life on mission uh, as you step onto the street. And as as we do each time, we welcome Dr. George Robinson into our Scent Life studios uh, to just bring us another practical handle. George, welcome. Glad to be here, Doctor Hilden. Glad you're here, man. I so appreciate you uh, coming in. What's our What's our practical hounder this week as we step out of the tower? So we're going to talk about how to give
4: an evangelistic invitation. Sweet, let's and, hear it. And when I say that, I don't mean what you're probably thinking, like Billy Graham. If yeah, you're in the balcony, come. We'll wait for you. That's That's not what I'm referring to here. You know, so oftentimes, uh, when it comes to Christians in churches, uh, the the easier thing to do is to invite someone to attend. A church service. And so when we think about the average believer doing evangelism, uh, for them an invitation to church is equivalent to doing personal evangelism. But the reality is, Barna studies show that that roughly 70% of the people who live in the United States today fall into this category called uninvitables. They're people who it doesn't matter who um, invites them to a religious service, they're not going to go. And so the interesting thing about that stat is that roughly 60 to 70% of those uninvitables are more than willing uh, to actually have a conversation about Jesus and what he taught. Is that right? Even to open up the scriptures. And so the thing that I want to encourage the listeners to do this week is um, not to avoid inviting people to your church, but if you're starting a conversation with church, church tends to be the thing That causes people the most angst and the most resistance. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people have had bad experiences with church, and so they're de-churched or unchurched or whatever. Um, Instead of starting the conversation with an invitation to church, let's do what the scripture says, and let's invite people to come and to learn about Jesus. And so... When I talk about an invitation, I'm saying that if you're going to do evangelism, it's probably not going to happen with an invitation to church. Instead, we need to invite them to Jesus. Amen.
1: Thanks so much. Appreciate you being here. What a great tip, right? Invite people to Jesus. It is often a struggle sometimes with bad experience, bad news that we hear about the church, but uh, Jesus is always the Savior of the world. Thanks so much for being here for this episode of Out of the Tower. We appreciate Dr. Robinson stepping in with us this week.